This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. By the book on BFM 89.9. Hello everyone, you are listening to Buy the Book. I'm Sharmila Ganesan and with me as always, fellow lover of classic Hollywood, Lee Chui Lin. Hello. And we have with us today for our monthly book club, um, we're very excited, um, a listener and also a book lover who had a book suggestion for us. So we decided to have her along with us for the show, Amelia Arif. Thank you for joining us today, Amelia. Hi, thanks. Thank you too for having me. I'm very delighted to be here. I'm very excited to uh, share my insight on uh, The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. Yes, and that's the book that we're going to be talking about, the book that Amelia actually um, wrote in and suggested that we read, The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo by Taylor Jenkins Reid. Amelia, I wanted to start off by asking you why you thought why you thought to suggest this to us, and and basically why you like it. Well, uh, I I I love reading fiction, uh, and I thought, look, this book is gaining a lot of popularity, and I thought I'd give it a try. I kind of expected for it to have a different direction, but it really caught me off guard, which I found very interesting. And I thought that the two of you might like it as well, because I really enjoyed it. And I really wanted to share that with you guys and also all the listeners out there. Lynn, for fear of spoiling it for anyone, I'm going to leave it to you to perhaps describe the book a little bit. Oh, gosh, thanks. <laughs> um, so I, I will say that I really enjoyed it. And it is the first book that I've read in a little while that had that very like propulsive, compulsive feeling like I wanted to finish it. I needed to know what was going to happen. And um, a lot of it is in the title, actually, The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. So Evelyn Hugo is, I would say, a Rita Hayworth type. I think that that's partly who she's based on. Um who is a an aging reclusive Hollywood star from the classic days of Hollywood and the novel starts with the premise that she is selling off her gowns uh, for charity and that she wants to give and that she wants to give an interview in line with that to an up and coming journalist who writes for a magazine, Monique. And that's where the book starts. However, as it progresses, it becomes quite clear that um, the auction isn't just an auction, the interview isn't just an interview, and what's happening isn't just uh, a simple... I guess, a simple relating of a story. It's really about how someone's life is shaped and how someone's life is shaped through that telling of story, a story to someone else. There are several mysteries, right, at the heart of this book. Um, and they kind of unfold as they go along. There's the mystery of why Monique, why Evelyn was so invested in having Monique tell her story. There's also the mystery of Evelyn herself and her life and how um, what we know, the world knows, the sort of, oh, Evelyn Hugo, uh, Seven Husbands, huge movie star. But also, who was she really? Who was she in her personal life? Um, the mysteries of each of these husbands and each of them have something behind them that we don't know about or things that happen and behind closed doors that we never heard. So um, I completely agree. This book kept me captivated all the way through. Um, I kept wanting to know what happens next. And I think until the end, it doesn't let up on that suspense. And and I think it makes for one of those books that, you know, people call it a, a great weekend read or a great holiday read or whatever. And I think that's one of those books. And not because it's light or, or, or too fluffy or anything, but because it keeps you invested in wanting to keep reading. Amelia, I was curious, uh, you said that this was a book that took a different direction than what you expected. And I, I thought you could talk a little bit about that. I mean, what were you expecting and how was it different? Well, I'm not going to lie. I 
kind of anticipated it's going to be a light, fluffy, Hollywood, glamorous, fun kind of book. And then as I read and flipped through the pages and I was very um, gripped, I think that's what I'd say. It really kept me hooked. That They explored so many themes that I didn't think they touched on. Like even if you looked at the cover, you'd think, ah, oh, you know, celebrity, that kind of Hollywood glamour. But it's more than that. And I really... Um, I would like to thank the author for writing that book because it's uh, it sticks with me. It really stuck with me. Um, what did you think of Evelyn Hugo herself? I have so much to say, but I wanted to start off with, uh, because the two people we spend the most time with is Evelyn Hugo, with past and present version, and Monique, who's the writer who's writing her story. Um, what did you What did you make of Evelyn? So when I read the book, at first I thought, okay, she's a typical Hollywood actress. But then over time, what I realized, she's actually like a treasure chest filled with secrets. So many layers. I almost thought like an onion, full of layers. As we flip through the pages, we reveal more and more about um, Evelyn herself. And um, I found that very interesting. And it made me realize people are not what they seem. Like she may portray herself as one thing, but actually she's like like any other ordinary human being. She's got, um, she's got secrets. She's got flaws. Uh, but she just puts the best part of herself forward for everyone to see. So I found that very interesting, yeah. I really liked her strength. Um, I, I think that that was one of my big takeaways uh, with the character of Evelyn Hugo in particular because... Um, I mean, there are acknowledgements throughout, I think, of the fact that the studio system or Hollywood is not the easiest place to navigate. Um, it, it still isn't, I, I don't think, but particularly for a certain period of time where starlets were marketed in a very specific way. So um, starting from there and recognizing the kind of grit that she needed to be the person that she eventually became, I think was quite cool. The other thing I really liked about her is that um, I don't, think she likes herself very much um, or, or rather she doesn't expect people to like her and that of course is quite a likable trait uh, in and of itself but I found that quite interesting because she's very matter of fact and I think in a different story with a different writer this could have come off as quite self-pitying or potentially you know we, we have to spend way too much time wading in the pools of like self-hatred and stuff but but that's not really what this book is interested in it's actually just interested in telling the story of a woman who knows exactly what she is who she is and knows that she's not likable but also knows eh, it is what it is i did my best with what i had the contrast of that self self i guess self-hatred is strong but the sort of i don't think i'm a nice person i think the contrast of that is also her sort of very matter of fact acknowledgement of i'm beautiful i'm beautiful and that's why i get to do what i do and the book actually plays around with that idea so well because that can easily get annoying um and it can easily get you know the multiple descriptions of how beautiful she is or how sensual she looks or how big her breasts are or how her hair is so sexy it I you know at some points I, I started thinking to myself, oh my God, am I going to be reading this over and over? But the book does it so deliberately and she does it so deliberately. And, and that's why as the book unfolds, it becomes the story of how in a very different time, um, what women were like and how to get ahead, they used what they had at their disposal, whether it was their looks or their sexuality or their ability to draw people to them. Um, and in a way, I think that's what the book is so good at. It's very deceptive, 
about the huge issues that it takes on, issues like feminism, racism, um, relationships between um, men and women, sexuality. Uh, but it does it with a light touch and it folds it into these, these, this glamorous story. And, and so when it happens, you almost don't realize it punched you in the gut until it's done. And then you're like, wow, did I just read that? And did that just happen to someone? And um, I thought that was really quite brilliant for a book like this. Um, I think uh, it's pretty much what you said, what Shamila said about how like uh, they described her in a very central manner. And I think uh, if the it was a different author or a different book, it would have gotten to a point where I felt like, oh, this again. But somehow it really felt like it was reiterating that, yes, she uh, she knows she's gorgeous. She knows she's beautiful. But at the same time, she knows that she has a life with full of flaws. And it also highlighted how Hollywood uh, is like an industry that really promotes women as objects and make them into uh, sexual desires, build them up as fast as they can. And in a second, could just tear them down. And uh, while I felt like, oh, here we go, we're talking about Evelyn's um, physical beauty, but at the same time, you sympathize with her because of the things she has to go through. And I, I really like that because it made me feel so many things all at once. So I was an emotional mess reading that book and I loved it. What did you guys make of the setting? Because we go through several um, decades, right? So we started the 50s, I want to say, and then we moved to the to the present um, with Evelyn's life to about the early 2000s and then Monique in the present. So um, how did you think the book worked in terms of evoking these time periods and the feel of it? I, I, I'm always a fan of, uh, well, some people say historical fiction, but I wouldn't say this is very historical. But I, I really like the the time the timeline it was in and the way they described it as well. I felt like I was there. It was really interesting. Um, and it, it was very captivating, I'd say. So it, it felt like we grew with Evelyn from the start when she was really young, uh, as she entered adulthood, as she got older. So it was, uh, I felt like I was very invested in her life story, which was what towards the end, how it ended, that made me feel more for her. Like, I, I could really sympathize with what she was going through. I mean, I, I have a tremendous interest in uh, the golden age of Hollywood, which was really not so golden, but you know, um, and, and I enjoyed, um, I think, not just that time period and, and getting a glimpse into what studios or what the Academy Awards would have been like at the time, but also thinking about how somebody who was used to used to being a, a sex pot, really, in the in the 1950s, how she would age. Um, and it's the small things, right? It's the description of uh, hair and wardrobe, actually, as she ages, how she acknowledges, yes, um, you know, when I, when I saw her once more in the 70s, I had a perm. <laughs> you know, it's things like that. And I think it's those kind of details that actually made me feel like... Um, like I was there. But the other part of it is it's written in a very cinematic way. I think that we can talk a little bit more about the structure later on because the book actually has a very particular structure. But um, overall, as I was reading it, I really felt like I could see it on screen, um, which is, again, kind of a funny, slightly meta thing considering the topic of the book itself. Oh, 100%. I got really excited wanting to watch like a mini series of, of Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. A movie would be great, but I do feel like having episodes would be something that would really work for this. Um, I loved the, the way it evokes the different time periods it's set in, the way people speak changes. Um, you can see a sort of more progressive 
vibe happening as they refer to things that are happening around them historically. Not too much, just enough for you to understand, for instance, that um, the way people think think about LGBT communities have changed or the way women might present themselves have changed. And um, I don't know, it's very clever. It's very clever for a book like this to be able to do that. we are going to um, discuss, I think the structure is something that I really want to pick up on. But we're talking about The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo by Taylor Jenkins Reid. Uh, courtesy of our listener who's with us today for our book club, Amelia Arif. Let us know if you've read it. Are you a fan of this type of fiction about Hollywood glamour? You can WhatsApp us 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Write to us at buythebook at bfm.my. Because freedom matters. BFM 89.9. Welcome back. You're listening to Buy the Book with Sharmila and Lynn. And with us today, listener and book lover Amelia Arif. And together we're talking about The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo by Taylor Jenkins Reid for our monthly book club. So I wanted to pick up on one of my favorite things about the book, which is the fact that it is literally structured around the seven husbands. Um, of course, it's a sort of story within a story. So Evelyn is talking to Monique, who's writing Evelyn's biography, and each section of the book is structured around each husband in sequence. I thought it was really delightful. Oh, yeah, I completely agree. I feel like if they didn't uh, talk about the seven husbands, the title wouldn't make sense. <laughs> um, and I I actually have out of the seven husbands, I actually have the favorite husband, which uh, for me is Harry. And I'm very curious uh, who you like the most. <laughs> um, it felt like I was going through a catalog of all the husbands, but that was very interesting how they played with that. Um, and I would say like why I like Harry is because I felt like he was a very genuine guy and it was a very interesting to see the kind of relationship they have, like a really honest relationship. They loved each other, they communicated, but at the same time, they didn't have that intimacy level, which I found it very interesting. So um, yeah, it's th- th- definitely a good one. I like the structure a lot. Uh, I, I think that it keeps, it's part of what makes the book, um, we, we all keep saying, right, that it was captivating or something that we wanted to stay in. And I think a big part of that is the structure because um, you are constantly entering new chapters of a very fascinating woman's life. Uh, it also moves forward very quickly. And each husband gives you a very different glimpse into her emotional state and also her career very often because the husbands were generally very deeply tied to her career and her ascendancy, right? Um, I, I think that Harry is 100% the best husband. <laughs> there is like there is no contest whatsoever. I will say though that uh, to me, the most interestingly written husband is Don. Um, and it's absolutely got nothing to do with whether I like him because there is almost nothing to like. Uh, but I think that the... I really love the way they encounter and re-encounter one another at different points in their life. And that goes a long way towards creating the sense in the book of decades having passed, of people having grown, and um, and of something staying the same. So yeah, I, I really loved the structure. Don Adler is not my favourite, but is probably the one that I was left thinking about. And also the one that possibly the relationship that's the most uncomfortable for us to look at from a modern lens. Um, Because when we look at that relationship and how it evolves and how... How he ends up being, I think, absolved or treated by the book, um, by her, it's interesting, right? And it's something that perhaps 
almost feels like, hmm, yeah, this takes time. It takes time for people to change or become better or to realize their mistakes. And whether that's right or wrong, I think it, it it's sort of a very human and very um, unexpectedly deep way to handle a relationship like this. But, oh, Harry just has my heart. He's such a lovable character. Um, obviously, you know, she says this right at the start. He's her favorite as well. And I think the, the friendship... Um, that lies at the heart of that relationship really makes the book. Um, I wanted to bring up Celia St. James, who we haven't brought up yet. Um, We probably can't say too much about her, but um, I wanted to say that I loved her as a character. I loved um, how they wrote. Uh, I love how she's written. I love the relationship between the two women and how it develops. And it's not often, I think, that you get to see a relationship like this handled with so much... um, sensitivity, but also I think the way the writer relates to them as people is very loving. She she deeply loves these two characters. I think there's a lot of sensitivity, uh, but there's also not a lot of, or at least not in my opinion, a lot of retconning. And I think that's important, um, that when you're looking at this sort of relationship, which at the time was so... Um, you know, what was not what you would expect it to be. And if you compare it to how a modern lens would look at it, I think that there is a temptation to kind of hoist our 2022 version of the world onto what was happening back in the 50s and the 60s. And I liked that the way it was written developed uh, decade on decade. Um, Emilia, I'm curious how you felt about Celia and also um, for you both, whether or not perhaps this is something, whether you saw the development of the relationship coming. Um, So I'm yeah, completely did not expect that. And that really caught me off guard. And it was a good kind of caught off guard thing. Um, what I really enjoyed was just the way how they navigated through that. Like it's during that time, uh, that relationship like that, it was a taboo. It wasn't spoken of. But then the way the author described that it was, um, it was, it was very carefully written. It was very intricate, I felt. Um, and it made you really feel for the character, like what they're growing through as well, because not a lot of people would understand that. And I feel like it also made you empathize with um, both Celia and Evelyn. Um, and yeah, it just it taught me a lot of things. And I, I, I'm not going to lie, I do like Celia a lot. I felt like they bounce off each other, like the, the personality as well. Um, so yeah, definitely Celia. Yeah, I wish I wish she was... Um, in the title as well, but then that would be a bit of a spoiler. Yeah, um, I loved how they are the two opposites of Hollywood, right? The great actress and the 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 virginal, likable one, and the bombshell who wouldn't ever do deep roles. And the fact that um, they are close and and you know have so much uh, feeling for each other, but also in some ways rivals. And in this industry, it, there was so much there. I don't know if I saw it coming, um, but. When it did, it didn't shock me. And I think that's because when you look back, then you're like, ah, it was there all along. You just needed to see the clues. And I think that's, again, one of those clever things that the writer does. I wanted to I wanted to confess that I didn't love Monique. And I wanted to ask whether you guys had the same issue. I just felt that in comparison to everyone else in the book, um, and I'm not going to lie, the first 
chapter or so was actually tough for me because it was so much about Monique. Um, she wasn't interesting. She felt very convenient. Um, and as a character, I felt that compared to everyone else, she was a little bit flat. So if I had any complaint about this book, it would be just that I wish Monique, the frame that we were seeing this through, um, was more interesting. I completely agree. Um, I felt like, oh, Monique, here we go again. Um, <laughs> I think it was I don't know if uh, TJR did it so that we would focus more on Evelyn and her story. So Monique wasn't like, you're not focusing too much on Monique. But at the same time, Monique plays a big role because of how it ended. And even at the ending, I still felt like, oh, Monique. Um, and I tr- really tried to like her. I really this did. This is my heart. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry, Monique. I really did try to like her, but she she's, um she's, yeah. <laughs> I'm still undecided. Um, so I... I've been thinking about this because uh, because Sharmila did complain <laughs> about Monique. So I've been thinking about it. And I I think that it helps that the Monique chapters are short. <laughs> Very um, much so. I, I recognize yes. I'm not making it sound better, but yeah. um, the Monique chapters are really short, right? Um, really, the bulk of the story is dedicated to Evelyn Hugo. And so um, the way I saw it, was that it was probably a choice and that uh, there was a need perhaps, I I disagree with the need but I think that there was a need for a groundedness or a grounded character um, amidst all these larger than life personalities that we needed someone who was a little bit dare I say boring to to, to further accentuate the the difference right? Um, Or to or, or to make it feel perhaps not so distant. I'm not sure exactly, but I think that it was probably a conscious decision, which is not to say that I think Monique was great shakes lap, but you know, it's. I think that was probably what it was. I'd like to hope that in the film slash TV show adaptation, Monique is played by a really great actress and so we like her more. Uh, she may be rewritten to be more interesting. Yes. I'm not sure. Um, I did want to ask, uh, or rather to close off, um, at least for my part, with books that, kind of um, echo this simply because I I want to recommend and I never recommend it often enough I feel Furious Love Elizabeth Taylor Richard Burton and the Marriage of the Century which is a book by Nancy Schoenberger and Sam Kashner um, which tells the story of Elizabeth Taylor and her her many husbands um, and Richard Burton specifically and I think that Taylor Jenkins Reid did cite the book specifically as an inspiration so if you liked The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo uh, Furious Love is the insane real life version of that and it's just great. I kept thinking of Elizabeth Taylor throughout the book Um, and of course Rita Hayworth because of the whole um, Latina having to sort of you know, pass for being white in in Hollywood. Um, I also actually was going to just pop in a quick recommendation that was very similar. We've talked about it in um, By the Book before, Delayed Rays of a Star by Amanda Lee Coe. Um, Very different vibe, much more um, sort of intense and slightly morose and melancholic, uh, but about Marlena Dietrich and also about the the old world of Hollywood and the things you don't see. Amelia, I wanted to close off because I'm new to Taylor Jenkins Reid's works. Um, And Lynn, I don't think you've read her before either. Um, Are you a fan? Would you recommend other books by her? This is actually my first book by TJR. And after I read her book, I think I've read 80% of her book after that. Like, like I'm almost done. I've read it all. Um, It's, yeah, she, I would say that uh, Seven Husbands is definitely her peak, the best and then I can even recommend the other ones. Uh, I really liked Malibu Rising. That's her latest one. That was really good as well. 
Um, the rest, you could tell that she's still trying to find herself. And then with the seven husbands, she found herself. Amelia, thank you so much for recommending this book and joining us on the show as well. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really had a good time discussing books with fellow book lovers. Well, we've been speaking with Amelia Arif um, and it's our monthly book club where we talked about, where we've been talking about The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo by Taylor Jenkins Reid. Let us know if you've read it. Are you a fan of her works? Um, are you a fan of books that are about Hollywood glamour? You can WhatsApp us 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio, write to us at buythebook at bfm.my. brings us to footnotes and picking up on that thread about real life versus fiction and what makes it into writing and what doesn't, um, we thought we'd close off by looking at an article that was very recently published in, of all places, the New York Post. And so that should tell you the tone of the article. But what caught our attention was that it's about V.C. Andrews, who of course is known for her gothic novels, particularly the bestseller Flowers in the Attic, because um, a bunch of Write, a bunch of writings by her papers, personal letters have been have come to light. And this has, I suppose, reopened a conversation about V.C. Andrews' personal life versus the kind of stuff she wrote. So um, to put it simply, right, the article posits a number of really rather salacious things um, about, about her life. Um, and in many ways, mine's what was a, a certain amount of tragedy and drama that clearly existed, um, that, that existed factually, I should say. Um, you know, f- for instance, the fact that she was uh, wheelchair-bound for a fair amount of her adult life, uh, the fact that she was entirely reliant on her mother, who was a very conservative person, which is an odd thing, uh, considering that she herself, you know, if you think about Flowers in the Attic and what that book is about, circling issues of... Um, money and incest and basically every taboo that you can imagine is just like crammed into one gothic novel she dedicated it to her mother who said she never read it and so i think it's um all these contrasting things that resulted in people now after her death and with the release of her personal materials speculating right about what it was that drove her to to write these things and we thought that it was a good companion piece to Evelyn Hugo, because of course, Evelyn Hugo is about somebody at um, a certain point in her life, at an advanced age, looking back on everything that has happened to her and kind of summing it up in one way. And the thing about the structure of those kinds of novels is that in some ways it tells us that or, or it trains us, those of us who love stories, to expect this uh, as if, you know, messy lives can be summed up in this way. That That's the beauty of these sorts of epic things, right, that span the beginning to the end of someone's life. Uh, whereas seeing V.C. Andrews's um, legacy in many ways, because her stories have also been continued after her death, seeing Seeing V.C. Andrews's legacy, I think, gives us a better sense of what it actually is like, which is to say, messy, and and um, the links aren't necessarily as clear. And also the difference between the person taking control over how they are represented or telling their story versus someone after the fact, in this case, after her death, looking through what was still now unreleased or personal material and drawing those conclusions. And 
I mean, that's exactly what we've talked about in our bibliography episodes, right? The dangers or the pitfalls of drawing neat conclusions or looking at material after someone's, a writer's death and trying to extrapolate what the person's life might have been like. So for example, this article talks about or makes the connection between the fact that the kids in Flowers in the Attic were trapped um, or rather locked in the attic and all of the things that happened to the fact that B.C. Andrews herself spent so much of her life in a wheelchair and unable to be mobile and um, the kind of overt control her mother had, uh, the meanness that her mother exercised over her, um, which I think is an easy connection to make. And I think it is it is there in some sense, but in another sense, writers sometimes make things up. Experiences are not so neatly, neatly transposed into fiction. And I don't know, for me, largely as a reader, unless the author has explicitly talked about making connections between their personal life and their work, I don't enjoy these kinds of things. And in, in fact, in, for a large part of my life, I was quite happy not knowing anything about writers' personal lives and in fact, just enjoying their works. Yeah, I, I feel bad saying this after explaining this article in such detail now <laughs> that um, that we've covered the same sort of ground that it ended up doing. But I agree. I actually enjoy reading uh, novels or, or whatever the writer has written on their own merits. Now, are there moments where you can see autobiography creep in? Of course. Um, and in many cases, you see as well authors writing themselves into books, identifiably themselves. I'm thinking here of someone like, uh, and this is someone we've spoken about a lot, um, and also someone who has written about doing this, and that's Stephen King. Um, you know, for a little while in the 80s, I would say all his protagonists were alcoholic writers with urinary tract infections. <laughs> and, um, no, it was a recurring theme. It, it really was. It would be five novels in a row, and, and it's the same basically um, lead character just thrust into different circumstances around Maine. And I think in those instances, um, you see the autobiography creeping in. But the point is that... Uh, that is different, I think, from drawing connections that the author hasn't made or may not be comfortable making. So that's just the thing, right? Um, I think about, and again, I'm going to mention another author who apparently comes up in our show a lot. I'm thinking about how with Neil Gaiman and the Sandman series, so many people drew connections between even just the way... Um, Morpheus or Sandman looks and Neil Gaiman looks and how he's clearly a stand-in for him. He's the spinner of stories. He's meant to be his proxy in this world. But I mean, to some extent, I think writers do put themselves in their works, but to a larger extent, people like writing. We, we read these works because they're full of imagination, because they um, draw connections between things that feel real and are definitely not real. And I don't know whether there's a lot of value to be had in constantly honing in on these facts, unless, like you said, authors are explicitly clear that you're meant to draw those connections. And then, of course, with autobiographies or even biographies or memoirs, um, those kinds of things, that link is a little bit clearer. I think, however, that for some readers, there is an actual enjoyment in it. And, and so that is partly why these sorts of links are drawn. Um, and when I say certain types of readers, I'm actually not referring to uh, pop readers or, or anything like that, because actually entire uh, academics have built entire careers mm. on, on building or creating these sorts of links and connections. So while you and I fall into a certain camp, I actually think that there's probably a equally large, if not larger, 
number of people who find it helpful to have their reading informed by what they know about the author's personal life. Um, I don't think authors prefer that, <laughs> um, most likely, but I, I think that that is what it is. Let us know, are you a fan of knowing an author's personal life? Uh, does that inform the way you read their works? You can WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio and write to us at buythebook at bfm.my. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.